Welcome back to Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in Romans chapter 12. It reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, Ursula, we've kind of made it to, in one sense, the halfway point, but uh, it's really been more than that. But there's a marked transition between 1 and 11 and then 12 through 16. And so Paul is building upon what he has said in 1 through 11 and now really gives us the practical side of what this looks like as we live it out. And so help us to understand how he's developed us to that point and then this first initial charge that he gives us here in chapter 12. So 12 does start the practical application of what Paul has laid out in the first 11 chapters. And if you recall, first 11 chapters are really laying that foundation of our faith, why God's wrath is coming because of sin, but also the plan he's made for that, which is our salvation through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And so then in 12, what I find just kind of fascinating with this is just how Paul starts out, how he appeals to us. He's actually talking to the Roman church. He's like, I'm begging you. You need now Based on everything that I've already told you, having a motivation of gratitude that Christ died for you, that he gave the ultimate sacrifice for you, I'm now imploring you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And why the body? Why does he say the body? Why did he even bother to do this? Why doesn't he just give us the, here's the ABCDs of how to be a good Christian at the very beginning? Well, because... He needs to just really appeal to us based on the love that Christ has for us, and we love because he loved us. That love then now drives me to want to try and please the Lord. Pleasing the Lord and presenting my body as a living sacrifice isn't the thing that gets me to heaven. 
right? It's, it's not where my faith comes from. My faith comes from the fact, my belief that Jesus died for my sins, that I desperately am a sinner, that I needed that to spend an eternity with God. And now he's saying, I'm to present my body, which is, that's an act of the will, is to present, right? It's, it's an instruction. And a lot of us live our Christian lives thinking, well, what can I get from God? You know, if I do, if I read scripture and I go to church and I pray, then this is all the things that God's going to do for me. But it's not what God does for us, or I should say what we get from God, but really what we give to God. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, now you need to serve God because he's loved you and he sacrificed for you. And what's the problem with being a living sacrifice? Well, a living sacrifice can crawl off the altar, can't it? It's really hard for us to continue to present our bodies and and have the motivation to continue to do that sometimes when, you know, sin in our human body, right? We still have that sin that resides in us, that we're always at odds a lot of times with our bodies. And sometimes we do what we don't want to do, as Paul appealed to us in a previous chapter. But what Paul is asking us to do is not to be conformed to this world, that we really need to be set apart, that we need to look differently because we understand what Christ has done for us. And it's really easy for us to conform to this world. Think about how many hours a day that you are inundated with the philosophy of the world. It's all over TV. It's all over your smartphone, social media, your friends, right? We are saturated. And so now to be set apart and not be conformed to this world is a huge challenge for us. And that's where the appeal to make it an act of your will. We learned before that sin no longer has dominion over us, right? Once we have the Holy Spirit deposited to us, we are no longer a slave to sin. And the only power that sin has over my life is the power that I choose to give it. But sin still resides in my body, right? We talked about that, the humanism that I have. I'm born a human being, right? I'm born into Adam. And so now I, my will, my spirit has greater power than the sin in my body. And that's when he's talking about in verse two, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I now can be transformed. But how is that even possible? Well, he says in verse two, it's the renewal of my mind. But again, our minds are inundated with the world philosophies. So what do I need to do to combat that? I have to know the mind of Christ. And where am I going to find that? I'm going to find that in the word of God. I'm going to find that among hopefully the people of God, right? And also in my intimate relationship with Christ, I now am one with him. I can have communion with him. I can be in prayer with him. I now have my eyes open to understand what scripture really means. And that's how my mind is renewed. And I can tell you the amount of time you spend in scripture and really asking the Lord in prayer to open your eyes to what scripture has uh, for you um, and how you walk this world out 
there is a direct correlation to the renewal of your mind and that time that you spend with him. And that's what you need to start to think about. Are you doing those things that God is asking you to do? And again, it's that act of the will. And that's so good, Ursula, because as we think about what you're challenging us to consider, it's separating us in our thoughts from being set aside for this purpose and saying, if I'm really set aside, if I'm really being set apart by God for this purpose, how am I preparing for that task that's at hand? And so I think a lot of us, we struggle with the consistency in spending time in God's word and doing those things because we focus on the battles or the situations that are right in front of us. And we see that as something separate from our relationship with God and our understanding of those things. We try to solve problems like we try to solve other problems in our life, not understanding that there's something else that's taking place, that there's a system out there that is being run by the adversary. Its whole purpose is to trip us up in what we're doing. And so that's a great challenge to us as we, as we consider that. And I want to draw our attention to, to really verses 9 through pretty much the end of the chapter. Is As you read through this, it starts to sound like, hey, maybe it's a new Ten Commandments. Hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Maybe it's 10 new things, whatever you want to talk about through that. But it's these new actions that are now motivated by what God has said, and it's a challenge that's placed before them. But as we consider what Paul was asking the Romans to do here, and us as well, how is this not a to-do list for Christians? How is it not to be understood that way? What is it that he's really trying to say by listing these actions? You know, that's a really great question. And I think it's really easy for us to fall back into the law, right? It, those lists of things. And then if we just do those lists of things, God's going to be happy with me. And then I get to go to heaven. But we've just learned that's, that's the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite of, of what's happening here. And God has your soul. If God has your soul, now he wants your body. And now he wants you to actually walk that out. And it's really because God has my soul. And because um, I understand my motivation of Christ, my overflow of my relationship with him will now then be walked out in relation to other people. And this is a really good litmus test for me to see where is my relationship with the Lord at? Because if I am not to really do verses nine through the end of the chapter very well, then I probably have a relational issue with the Lord. And so I do like to look at these and saying, let love be genuine. Do you know, do I abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good? Um, again, it's not that list. I have to do these things to have faith. It doesn't work like that because I have faith, because my faith and my relationship with Christ is growing. This is something that will naturally, as my mind is renewed, will start naturally occurring. I will be more genuine in my love. I will desire to love others more. I will desire to give the brotherly affection that God calls me to give and try to show honor to those, not be jealous, right, um, of what other people have. I'll actually 
be able to be patient when I am suffering. And maybe if somebody's accusing me of something, maybe they just don't understand or don't know, but I can be patient in that. Why? Because of my relationship with Christ. And it says in verse 12 that I'm to rejoice and hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And again, that prayer life that I have is again, a reflection of my relationship I appreciate how you've really framed this for us because I think that's the key thought. And that's really why Paul has waited to talk about these things until he's set the stage with everything else. Because if we want to, and I think naturally we would want to jump to these, hey, what is it I'm supposed to do? How is it I'm supposed to look? Then that will determine that everything else is good. But you can't do that. You can't jump to that. You have to see the process that's taken place and how it is that you can live so counterculturally. How is it that you can have the power to withstand these different situations and to act as you should as a child of God is because you understand chapters 1 through 11. You understand the transformation that's taken place. You understand that God has placed you in that situation and that it's not just a random occurrence that you can just shove aside and say, well, this doesn't really matter to the rest of my life. It's not important. Everything that we're doing is a part of God's plan for our life. He's laid that out for it. So how we respond to that is very important. And we can only respond in this way if chapters 1 through 11 is true in our life, if the transformations that are mentioned there have taken place, if we have offered our bodies up to God to say, hey, my life is not my own. It was bought with a price. It is yours for your kingdom and glory. Then I can start to see these types of things occurring in my life. But we also understand, hey, we're not perfect. You're not going to always love genuinely. You're not always going to be filled with a prayerful mindset. You're not always going to hate the things that you should. But that doesn't mean that this is now saying, well, then chapters 1 through 11 aren't true in your life. We understand we're still marred by the effects of sin, and we're here called by God and still having his grace and his mercy present in our life, walking forward in truth, walking forward in love, so that we can represent him and the message that he's given to us to the lost and dying world around us. And so as you walk through this passage today, there's many other parts that you can focus in on as you think about the different things that are now practically happening in your life because of the transformation of the gospel. And so as you look at these questions, you might have some questions that come up on other sections that we haven't focused on, or you might want to delve more into these two things. Hey, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice how do I actually understand that in terms of the sacrificial system and what he's talking about? I would encourage you delve into that. Delve into whatever the question is that God has placed on your heart, because that is the way in which he's speaking to you right now. That is the way in which he's revealing himself to you. And as he constantly does that in your life, he's transforming and renewing your mind to help you to see your life through the lens of what he desires you to see, so that you can live in an appropriate response to him. Note today, you were loved. You are Just a couple of your love. Just a
Just a couple of you alone. Just a couple of you alone. 